Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 22 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we invited a dear friend onto the podcast and someone who is a transformative force of good for our healthcare industry and the nation. Imran Kronk is a founder and CEO of Ride Health, a technology platform that partners with healthcare organizations and transportation providers to manage transportation benefits for patients in need. During our time together, Imran shared a very personal and touching story of seeing a discharged patient from a hospital that had no ride home and the aha moment that occurred from that experience and how that led him to found his high growth startup. Imran also detailed the massive financial burden and the detrimental physical and mental impact patients experience when transportation is not available. Before we learn from Imran and hear his amazing story, I want to thank him and the entire Ride Health team for their inspiring work and mission of the organization, that no person shall have to forego healthcare or basic social needs because they cannot get there. It is my hope you will continue to support these passionate pioneers as they drive better health outcomes in our communities across the country. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Imran, welcome to our podcast being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Imran, we're fired up to have you today, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you on this podcast, as I'm a huge fan of you and Ride Health, and I'm very lucky to be able to call you a personal friend. We're going to discuss a very important issue that has been a huge impediment for many patients receiving care, reliable transportation. A headline from the MedCity News publication, which recently highlighted your capital raise, stated Ride Health helps hospitals coordinate rides for their patients by giving them access to reliable transportation. Ride Health hopes to reduce costly no-shows and delayed hospital discharges. But what I love most, currently the health systems, not the patients, are the ones paying for the rides. How cool. We're going to have a very exciting conversation today, Imran, and I can't wait for you to share more about your entrepreneurial journey, your passion for ensuring patients are able to receive reliable care, and where you are driving Ride Health into the future. But before we dive into all the fun, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, Please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on iTunes or Spotify or click the link at the bottom of the episode notes. All right, Imran, before we chat about Ride Health, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community can get to know you. I'm going to select one random question here, and we'll take it from there. All right, what came up? Your favorite place on earth you've ever been, and why? That's a great question. I'd have to say Mount Kilimanjaro, and, and more generally, Tanzania, given both the climbing and, and safari experience there. 
But in particular, the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro was just an, an incredible place. Really, it's more of a journey. Seven days to get up there, and we kind of do the, the summit hike overnight and, and get there as the sun's rising. And there's few things I can think of that have been more awe-inspiring in my lifetime than seeing that, especially after the journey that, that it took to get there. So that's, that's what comes to mind, the, the favorite place on Earth. How is the food on a seven-day hike to altitudes of almost 20,000 feet? Actually, I got to give credit to the, the colleagues we had along the way. They prepared some pretty good food, considering uh, there were no kitchens around, and we kind of had to make do. It was uh, you know, enough vegetables, enough carbs you know, to keep you going and keep you feeling healthy. So uh, cannot complain. It was more about, you know, the fuel that you need to get up there than Michelin star stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and any altitude sickness? Yeah. Luckily, I didn't experience it because I had a, a lot of Diamox. There was, uh, that's one of the critical things I tell people before they go up there is, is make sure you have twice as much altitude sickness pills as you think you'll need. And because um, you never know when you're going to encounter somebody who has too few, right? You can literally save someone's life um, if you have a little extra. All right. Well, good to know. Well, Mount Kilimanjaro, it is. Very exciting. Thanks for sharing that, Imran. Can I turn that around on you to hear from you? Absolutely. Well, thank you for asking, my friend. I've traveled a lot. I'm very fortunate. I've been able to see a lot of the world. You probably saw my blog post and uh, saw the update earlier in 2019. I spent a month over in Asia for a sabbatical to get ready for my next big journey. And while that was amazing, I went to Laos and Vietnam and Hong Kong, Japan. I would have to say my favorite place thus far is Amsterdam. The architecture, all the water, the canals, the food, uh, believe it or not, there's still a big Indonesian presence there and influence in regards to food, which was phenomenal given the historical perspective of the Netherlands and being a big trade port. The Dutch, incredibly friendly, beautiful windmills everywhere. I can't say enough about Amsterdam and the Netherlands. It was an amazing place. That's great. It's been a, quite a while since I was there, and I was I was there when I was probably 10 or 12 years old, so I was not able to enjoy it to its fullest, but uh, certainly hope to be back at some point soon. I so, do recommend. Do head back. The, uh, yeah, for the recommendation. It's on the list now. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's dive in. Thank you for sharing that, Imran. We do have a lot to cover today. I have been fortunate to watch your journey with Ride Health, what you and the team have been building over the years. I know 2019 was a big banner year for you and the organization, and there's much, much more to accomplish with this very fast-growing startup that is Ride Health. But of course, one doesn't just fall into transportation and logistics and then build a company around it. Imran, take us back a bit. How did you discover the need? What were the aha moments? Give us a little bit of a history lesson of how and where you got to today with Ride Health. Take us back a bit. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for, for the opportunity. At my core, uh, I've always been focused on healthcare. And in school, I focused on the sociology of medicine and what's commonly today kind of referred to as the social determinants of health. And I was always focused on and fascinated by the way in which those social factors impact people's ability to access care and adhere to it and, and see high-quality outcomes. So about six or seven years ago, though, I was a, a volunteer in a hospital down in North Carolina, where I'm from originally. And I was doing volunteer shifts between 9 p.m. and midnight in the emergency department to really get a on-the-ground feel of sort of the day-to-day the -day activity and flow of a, an environment like that. And uh, this patient was discharged, I remember, around 11.30, 11.45 at night. And he came out into the waiting area, and I was the first person he saw. And he said, hey, I, I don't have a way of getting home. Uh, is there anything you guys can do to help out? And he told me he had been taken there in an ambulance, you know, eight, 10 hours earlier. And uh, now he was being discharged right before midnight. And he, he had 
just no money on him. He didn't have anybody he could call. You know, his only relative in town was his mom, who was you know, bedridden and wasn't able to be much help there. So he was kind of stuck. And I suggested that he go over to the nurse's station and see if they could help him out with some type of resource. And he went over there and talked to them for a little bit. And I could overhear them a little bit. And they, they were indicating that they didn't really have anything on hand for this circumstance and that he'd have to kind of figure something out. So he was wandering around the waiting area and I went up and asked him, you know, what do you plan to do? And he said that he might try to walk home. And I was like, well, where do you live? And he said, uh, he described this part of town that was around eight or nine miles away wow. from the facility. And this guy was maybe 60 to 65 years old. He was kind of off balance and staggering a bit. He told me that uh, some, some medication he had been given during his stay had actually compromised his vision. And so he couldn't see all that well. So no part of this sounded like a good idea for this guy to just go off into the night. It was like raining. It was dark. It's just like not a good situation. And so the only thing I could think to do in that moment was to offer him a ride home because I was going to be leaving in a few minutes at midnight. And he took me up on it. And I just drove him home, dropped him off and went to my home. And uh, everything worked out. It was like not a big deal. But it was a little weird driving a total stranger home in the middle of the night, as you might imagine. And it kind of got the gears turning in my mind about why that had been the outcome of that situation and why there hadn't been some other sort of system or process in place to accommodate it. And so as I got more curious about this, I looked into the nature of how something like transportation or mobility impacts our patient's ability to, to navigate healthcare, access care. Uh, you know, Forget just getting home from the hospital in the middle of the night. What about getting to and from care in broad daylight? It became clear to me that something that a lot of us have taken for granted, mobility, transportation, was actually a huge impediment to access to care for a specific set of folks. And these tend to be you know, disproportionately individuals who are lower income and have difficulty with affording transportation, those who are perhaps elderly and may no longer drive independently and might rely on family, friends, broader social network that isn't always there when they need it, and those who have physical mobility limitations uh, and require extra assistance and, and technical you know, vehicle fitting that may not always be available, or those in rural areas who are sort of disconnected from public transit systems and are navigating long distances if and when private transportation is available. And so I began to learn more about the nature of this problem and realized that this really impacts millions of people. According to federal data, as many or at least as, as many as 3.6 million people miss or delay care every year wow. due to transportation barriers. It's probably a lot higher than that. That was a conservative estimate. And so I became really interested in understanding the different stakeholders around the table here who had a, a hand in this and had an interest in solving this problem or at least addressing it. And I began to think about the role that patients play and their family members and caregivers, the role that social workers and care managers within the healthcare delivery systems play, the hospitals, the community health centers. Think about the way payers have a seat at the table here uh, across Medicare, Medicaid, dual populations. And then, of course, all of the transportation providers, sort of the vast world of, of mobility. And if you look at all these different stakeholders, you realize they all have common interest in ensuring that patients are accessing care in a timely and convenient, cost-effective manner. They just don't always have a way to communicate and coordinate among themselves to make it happen. And so it became clear that there was an opportunity to build that common thread and unite those different stakeholders around those shared aims. And that's what kind of led to the process of, of ideating and refining what is now Ride Health. And we'll talk about that, Imran, and thank you for that uh, wonderful backstory. Of course, have some questions. I'm curious because I, I love spending time with entrepreneurs that see 
opportunities that sometimes others don't. This sounds like that it was a status quo. Uh, this is how it's always been problem. When you had that very intimate and visceral experience with that specific patient that you talked about, after that, did you go and talk to healthcare administrators in the hospital, other physicians, caregivers, et cetera, and say, I just experienced this. And, and if so, what was the responses that you were receiving if you did that? Yeah, yeah, great question. I have to be honest, it probably took 18 months to two years after that experience before I really started thinking about and processing it intently. At that time in my life, it was more of an incident that occurred that got me thinking. But then it wasn't until probably 18 months or two years later that I kind of returned to that experience and said, wow, that was really an aberration and something that was very, very strange. So I don't know what accounted for that sort of time delay. <laughs> I guess sometimes it takes you know time to process these things. And I'm sure there was, there was you know, curiosity working in the back of my mind. So what I wish I had done was gone to the administrators at that hospital and talked with them. But I can't say that I did. But when, uh, yeah, when you started 18 or 24 months thinking about it and, and you're yeah. stress testing this idea and this and what you're seeing as a pain point in the marketplace, what were some of the responses from the incumbent stakeholders out there? Yeah, yeah. So at that point, when it really became apparent that there was this sort of this need and, and these different factors intertwining, we really went on a quite a listening tour and sort of investigative journey. And so I spoke with, with hospital administrators, with frontline care coordinators and social workers, anyone who would really give us the time of day who we thought might have a perspective on this. And what we were hearing from these individuals, these stakeholders, was that they knew it was a problem. And that what they didn't know was exactly how to solve it. But they knew that it was a consistent pain point from an operational perspective. Patients were missing appointments. They were having to reschedule appointments at the last minute because a ride they were counting on had fallen through. And that was creating these operational disruptions from a, a practice standpoint. We also talked with folks that were kind of more on the inpatient side of the hospital. And they told us that there was this, this challenge that they were experiencing around delayed discharge, where people were often ready to go after they were medically cleared in the morning. But because families couldn't always come and get the patients until the end of the day, patients were spending all day in a bed unnecessarily. That's a bad patient experience. That also means there's someone else waiting for that bed who needs it for active medical services. And so we learned about all these different pain points that were created by this current state and status quo. And we began to see opportunities using sort of new and emerging modes of transportation that are more digitally connected and enabled to maybe connect the dots between these healthcare institutions, the stakeholders within them, the problems they're experiencing, and what is made possible by new modalities, new technologies, there just needed to be a translation layer between the world of healthcare and the world of mobility. And so we, we wouldn't have understood the specific institutional incentives without those conversations with those stakeholders across those facilities. And a lot of that was in the kind of Pennsylvania and New Jersey area, because at the time I was just finishing up school. And that was those were the institutions to which I had access. And we're going to talk about that layer, which is, of course, your company now uh, called Ride Health. But I do have a couple questions on some of the stuff that you already outlined here on the podcast. You mentioned that roughly with the most recent data that we're seeing about three plus million missed appointments for patients across the country. What does that mean to the industry? You know, the financial impact, the, the burden on the patient with those three million missed appointments. What does that mean for the patient? What does that mean for the industry? What does that mean for our country? Yeah, great questions. So for patients, it means their care plan is disrupted. 
you think about someone going through radiation therapy, the data show that if you miss just two visits in your course of radiation therapy, which might be 30 or more treatments on a daily basis over the course of weeks or even months, if you miss just two of those, it materially and significantly impacts your five-year survival percentages. Wow. And so this stuff is high stakes. Adherence to care in all forms of chronic disease management treatment is crucial. So it really, really impacts patients' care plans. Then you get to the, the other side, the, the health system, uh, the hospital, the practice. And for them, you know, their unit economics are entirely based on, for the most part, efficient use of the fixed cost that they have. The physicians, the nurses, the allied health professionals, the administrative staff that, that make practices and, and clinics and hospitals operate. And they need to be making as, as efficient use of that capacity as possible. And they have people canceling appointments at the last minute, rescheduling them, showing up late. When they have people waiting in beds for longer than they need to be there, it just creates this strain on the system. And these are not organizations that are typically known for having high margins, right? So it, it creates this, this additional strain on these delivery systems. And then how it impacts our, our nation really comes down to the combination of those patient and, and organizational impacts uh, and the way it impacts our overall health as a country and the impact that health has on social fabric and well-being and economic indicators of productivity. You can kind of connect those dots and draw those lines. And so it's absolutely an important problem to focus people's energies and efforts around to make sure that Transportation is not a wildly complex intervention. It's actually a fairly simple process to get people from point A to point B. It's solvable. There's certain other social determinants that might be a little bit more intractable, and certainly transportation has its nuances. But it feels like we have all the tools we need. We have the resources in place. It's a matter of connecting the dots and connecting the right patient to the right ride at the right time so that they can achieve their intended health outcomes. Well, let's talk about how you are solving it, actually. Imran, you set me up perfectly for a segue. You know, one thing that I love about on your website at ridehealth.com, I love your vision, and it is the following. To simplify and transform the human transportation experience through technology, data, and a deep commitment to patients and their caregivers. That is perfectly said. Obviously, you guys have a great marketing team and an amazing vision <laughs> that is setting the course for Ride Health. So let's talk about the technology. Let's talk about the platform. Like you said, transportation isn't rocket science, but what you have built to elegantly and seamlessly connect the dots for caregivers and patients is incredibly brilliant. Matter of fact, it's growing like uh, gangbusters. You guys just raised a huge round here at the back end of 2019. But let's talk about the technology. Let's talk about the platform a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for the kind words. I'm sure our, our marketing lead, Chris, and, and, and our head of growth, Ryan, and, and their colleagues who worked on that, uh, we all worked on it together. Uh, really, would be would be thrilled to hear that you think we we nailed it. Um, so thank you. Um, in terms of the the, the platform and technology, we have a phenomenal product uh, and engineering team, um, and you know we're we're really proud of what they've done. We have a lot more on our roadmap, but in terms of what we have today, uh, it's a it's a web based platform uh, that allows uh, care managers and social workers within healthcare organizations whether that's a, a hospital, a multi-hospital health system, uh, a Medicare Advantage plan, a Medicaid managed care plan, uh, a dual eligible plan, a society or a foundation, um, any type of healthcare organization that allows the care manager or social worker within that organization to uh, create very detailed uh, patient profiles. And, and those profiles contain information like uh, demographic data, uh, in terms, including, you know, what language a patient speaks, where they live, um, 
And then it includes communication information and preferences. So do they have a smartphone or a flip phone or do they rely on a landline? That really determines how we'll communicate with that patient. Do they have a caregiver who may travel with a phone even if the patient themselves is not? Um, those are the nuances that we can, we can accommodate. Uh, and then we have the physical accessibility information. So, um, you know, does somebody ambulate without support? And so they can, they can use any type of vehicle or, or public transit resource, or do they need some type of assistance on a door to door or door through door basis? Uh, do they need a wheelchair accessible vehicle? Do they have to lie flat during transit? So they need a stretcher van. Do they need uh, an ambulance with basic or advanced life support? Back to the wheelchair example, it's not just a surface level wheelchair or not. It's, is this a motorized wheelchair? Is this a bariatric wheelchair? Does it fold up and transfer into the vehicle? Uh, how many steps is outside this person's home? You know, here in New York, uh, there's a lot of walk-ups. So that's important to understand. Uh, and do you need a couple of people to, to help with, uh, navigating somebody in a wheelchair, right? So there's all these physical accessibility nuances and considerations that our, our data model also accommodates. And so once you've created this profile for this patient that has a lot of the standard information and then a lot of the specialized transportation-related information, you can create rides for them. So you can create one-way rides. You can create round-trip rides, so there and back. You can create multi-part rides or recurring rides. So that covers all of the clinical use cases from a discharge to an appointment to you know stopping at a pharmacy or a social services office on the way home from an appointment, uh, as well as ongoing chronic disease management. Back to what I was saying earlier about someone going to radiation therapy every day, chemotherapy or dialysis, you know, multiple times a week. It allows the coordinator to easily schedule uh, that, that cadence. And so when a ride request is created, uh, we actually send that out to our network of transportation providers. And our network is comprised of the full spectrum of mobility that you can imagine, except for, for scooters. We haven't gotten there yet. Um, and so it starts with public transit which is, you know, subways, buses, um, and, and paratransit. Uh, and then it also includes uh, uh, livery, uh, so curb-to-curb levels of service. And there, that's where we get partners like Uber, uh, curb mobility, and, and then local um, uh, taxi services. And then we get into the, the, the level of non-emergency medical transportation services. So those are, those are companies. There's 17,500 of them across the country. By the way, there's also... 1,400 public transit agencies across the country. Wow. A lot of people know that. Um, but there's 17,500 um, non-emergency medical transportation companies nationwide. And these are often mom-and-pop uh, organizations that might have you know, five or ten vehicles or, or fewer. And they're, they're small businesses. They, they employ their drivers. They have, they have training for their drivers in uh, sort of higher level of service delivery um, for that you know, door-to-door, door-through-door wheelchair accessible assistance, um, all the way up to and including ambulances, as I mentioned. So we really have this full stack medical transportation network um, across all forms of mobility. Uh, and what we do is we integrate with the system of record for that transportation service. Um, so their internal dispatch and scheduling system. We fundamentally believe that in order to have a successful network that we interact with effectively, we have to meet them where they are and integrate with their workflows and take on the complexity of making our data model interoperable so that they're receiving trips the way they receive trips from everywhere else and that they can send us information 
in a real-time, event-based status update manner so that we're able to track the trips in a consistent way. Uh, and so because we're receiving that real-time, event-based status update information from these transportation providers when they're doing trips for us, we are able to communicate that information to the coordinator on the platform. So they're able to follow along and we're able to communicate it to the patient or their caregiver, whoever the point of contact is receiving the updates. And because we take all the communication nuances into account, we can share those updates through text message, through voice calls. Uh, a passenger can call into our line and through an automated system find out the status of their ride. Uh, there's a lot of different options. Uh, because Ride Health was not built with the assumption that uh, a patient you know, had a smartphone or could walk without support or lived in an urban area or spoke English as a first language. None of those assumptions were baked in. So accessibility for us is a core value. Back to these updates that we're getting from the transportation companies, not only do they let us communicate information to all the right stakeholders, we have an internal ride success team that is monitoring all of the rides that are going on at a given time. It's kind of the eyes in the sky. And we can have event-based triggers and flags for any disruptions that are taking place, such as a driver running late, a driver lingering at a pickup spot for longer than usual, a trip going on longer than we expected. And at each point in time, we can intervene proactively instead of waiting for situations to escalate uh, into something more serious. And so this really takes the, the, the traditional model for medical transportation uh, coordination at scale and turns it on its head. It takes it from being a reactive, grievance-based management system to a proactive ride success system to help people get to where they're trying to go in a timely manner. Uh, so that's fundamentally how we're different from what exists today. And that's how our technology uh, enables us to to do it and connect all of these stakeholders more effectively. That is incredible. Thank you for sharing that, Imran. Fascinating work, brilliant minds around this technology at Ride Health. Now, of course, one thing you said that you aren't doing today is, is scooter rides. Well, you may or may not know this, but I live and work in downtown Denver and I do ride a scooter. So when you guys are ready to beta test scooter rides, I'm your guy, all right? <laughs> I will keep that in mind. I actually knew a guy who was lobbying for uh, I think it was Bird in in Denver. Um, so I've actually learned I've learned a little bit about that that whole uh, public conversation there around that. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a Vespa kind of scooter guy. So again, you you let me know if that's if that's on the roadmap. I'm your guy for for scooter rides. <laughs> <laughs> We'll keep that in mind. I appreciate it. I do want to ask, though, in regards to the outcomes, the results that some of uh, your partners are seeing, can you share a little bit about that? And then, of course, I do want to talk about what's most important here, what the outcomes are for the patients and maybe some patient stories. But first, let's start talking about what are the outcomes that we're seeing with your technology? Yeah. Yeah. So we've been working with partners for two and a half years now. Um, And so we've had a chance, you know, in the last several months, really to uh, begin to have really clear data and information on the outcomes that we are uh, creating. And, you know, with um, a health system in in New Jersey uh, called Virtua Health System, we were able to see some pretty incredible outcomes. Uh, They were one of our first health systems to to adopt and go live at scale uh, across the system. And they actually were able to see uh, significant reductions in delay of discharge. Um, It used to take them, you know, four or five hours to... Uh, get a, a local cab to pick up a patient. We've reduced that time to 10 or 20 minutes uh, at night and, and six to 10 minutes during the day um, using ride health. And so that really improves the emergency department's bed availability. It improves patient satisfaction. 
they've told us it's improved morale for their night and weekend staff in those emergency departments. So really kind of coming full circle to the situation that kind of got me interested in this in the first place, which is great to see. On a broader level, we were able to reduce no-shows within their oncology uh, department uh, service line um, by 46% Wow! Um, at, one of, at one of their sites. Um, and that was just radiation oncology. Uh, there was overall a 75% reduction in no-shows across all the oncology appointments uh, that they, that they uh, experienced. And then one of the most uh, incredible things on an overall basis in their primary care practice was that they were able to see a, uh, an up to seven-fold return on investment uh, based on what they spent on transportation to what they were able to see in increased collections uh, attributable to those appointments on which they uh, invested in transportation. And so this really pays off for, um, for these institutions. Um, what we're starting to see as we begin to work with more and more health plans, uh, and we're still measuring this so we don't have anything quite as clear to share, are, are real improvements and enhancements as it relates to member experience and member satisfaction, which for health plans uh, is, is a key motivator as they think about their transportation programs. Uh, and so the way we collect feedback in real time from these patients uh, and sort of address any issues or complaints they have in the moment rather than allowing things to escalate is, is huge. And we think that the data will begin to bear that out soon. Um, another organization we've been, we've been working with, just for anecdotal purposes, has seen um, up to an average of six hours of delayed discharge avoided in their hospital. And we think about how your average bed hour, especially in an oncology center, uh, could be worth hundreds of dollars per hour. Um, that really makes an impact on the operational and financial metrics. Not to mention, as I discussed earlier, the important clinical impact of greater care adherence. Um, so those are some of the outcomes we've been able to see, and we're incredibly proud of the impact it's having on patients and the delivery and, and financing organizations that take care of them. Uh, and we have a lot more to come in terms of working with our partners to assess those outcomes and impact. And how about on the patient side? Have you heard any actu- you know, direct patient stories of how this benefited some of our community members across the country? Uh, we, we get those every day, actually. At this I point, bet. Um, which is incredibly, incredibly rewarding and motivating for our, for our team. Um, and the reason we do is because we, whenever um, we ask patients to rate their experience on a scale of one to five, um, of course, if it's, if it's a low rating, we immediately call them and ask them what's going on. If it's a, usually what we see is we see fives, and, and every third time or so, we ask them, what went so well? And we get some of the most magical responses uh, from that. People talking about how this is like a thousand pound boulder lifted off of their shoulders to not have to worry about how they're going to get to and from critical life-sustaining appointments anymore. Uh, people in rural areas who say that for the first time, it feels like someone cares whether they're getting to and from their, their care uh, that might be far away. Um, so it, it, it's this stuff matters is what we've found. Transportation systems, uh, you know, are 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 notable because they consistently undermine people's lives when they're delayed, when they break down. Um, and so our goal at Ride Health, in many ways, is to have transportation be the thing that people forget, so that they can focus on their care. Uh, but we're we're overjoyed and, and and humbled and appreciative of the opportunity to to help people um, and have them notice it as well. Very exciting. Thank you for that, Imran. Well, let's talk a little bit about where Ride Health is driving towards. What's the future look like for the organization? Yeah. So over the next five to 10 years, um, as we as we continue to grow and scale, we're now in 30 states. Uh, we'll probably be in all 50 states by the end of this year uh, or even sooner. 
Um, our goal really is to define uh, the intersection of health and mobility on a global scale and be the organization that can translate across healthcare organizations, uh, mobility services, uh, and governmental stakeholders uh, to really solve these, these access challenges that people face to healthcare and other social resources. Um, and so that's, that's really our guiding North Star and our direction. Uh, and there's a lot to that working across different kinds of, uh, healthcare organizations and with different mobility services. So there's an incredible amount of nuance, uh, to, to, to encounter as we build this ecosystem. But that's the common unifying thread for us uh, as an organization. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I'm incredibly fortunate to not only be able to uh, work and collaborate with you uh, in, in business, but to also uh, be able to call you a personal friend. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that you and Ride Health will achieve everything that you just shared. There is no doubt whatsoever. Well, let's turn it to the community, Imran. I know um, there are a lot of incredible leaders now around the world that tune in on the weekly here for the podcast and have been offering amazing insights, opportunities, ideas, connections, et cetera, to our, to our guests. So let's take a moment. Can you share one problem, need, or question that you currently have that our community can help with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are looking for a chief operating officer. Um, and it's not something that's, you know, a, a critical near-term, you know, hair on fire need, but it's something that over the long term we think will be very beneficial as our organization continues to grow and evolve. Uh, I'm a first-time founder, uh, and you know that's that's just a beneficial partner to have um, in in the evolution of an organization. And so, if anyone out there is listening who um, has found our story interesting and, and would like to be a part of it, or uh, knows somebody who might be a fit, we welcome uh, hearing about you or or who you know. Um, and uh, that's what I would say comes to mind in terms of our uh, it, it, we call it a need or or kind of an intent um, in in the coming months. And let me have a follow-up on that, uh, Imran, uh, just make sure that our community can be best of help. Is there a, sp- uh, a specific location that you would like this uh, COO to be operating out of? Uh, preference would be for New York or, or accessible to the New York area. Um, and the, the kind of background we're looking for is somebody who really has experience growing um, uh, and, and scaling you know, healthcare organizations, uh, but also has spent time in the uh, managed care world uh, or the health system world and has a deep understanding of that. Um, so it's a pretty high bar, um, and we're taking our time to find the right the right person. Uh, and of course, we have opportunities across the organization uh, on our our our, our growth side, products, engineering, client services. Um, and uh, so, if, if you or, or somebody you know is interested in helping out in any way, we'd welcome hearing from you at this time as we're figuring out uh, how to continually attract and retain the best people. Um, to, to fuel our mission over the next five to 10 years. Excellent. Thanks for that, Imran. And of course, to our audience, uh, in the episode notes, you'll find a guest feedback form link to share any ideas or thoughts for Imran and his team. Or you can head over to their website at ridehealth.com. Again, that'll also be uh, in the episode notes. Uh, speaking of contact points for you and the organization, Imran, where can folks find you online, whether it be website, social handles, or otherwise? Yeah, yeah. Website is uh, ridehealth.com. And my email is pretty easy. It's just imron at ridehealth.com. Uh, and we have our social handles uh, on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, I think somebody said something about Instagram the other day. I, I haven't verified that myself, but uh, we're out there and um, happy to engage. And again, we'll leave those uh, contact points in the episode uh, uh, notes for this uh 
uh, discussion today as well. All right, Imran, it's time to take us home. We have reached the end of the episode here, but I have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because things worth doing are seldom easy. Uh, you have to maintain a layer of, of conviction underlying everything you do every day in order to do this work. Uh, you have to be passionate and you have to be uh, sometimes a pioneer. Um, uh, folks all around the team constantly remind me that how can we figure out the things we're doing that are counterintuitive, that in five years or 10 years are going to be the conventional wisdom. Um, so that's where you bridge the, the passion with, with the pioneering spirit. Um, and uh, that's that's why uh, we do what we do. Well, I knew when I started this podcast last year that I absolutely had to have you on the on the show because of everything that you just shared. I'm incredibly fortunate and humbled to be able to call you a friend and be able to learn from you continually and to watch your journey and the mission that you're on, uh, both personally and with Ride Health. Imran, I thank you for everything that you're doing to continue to better the health of our nation and know you have uh, uh, somebody a mile high in Denver rooting you on continually. Keep up the great work, my friend, and thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Mike. This was a great conversation. Uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. And uh, to everyone listening, uh, thank you for, for listening as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.